This is an ABC podcast. Good morning. Welcome to AM. It's Monday the 6th of November. I'm David Lipson coming to you from Gadigal Land in Sydney. A community in regional Victoria is in shock after a car ploughed into the beer garden of a pub last night, killing five people, including two children. Investigators will today continue piecing together the events that led to the crash at the Royal Hotel in Dalesford. The 66-year-old male driver remains in hospital. Matt Bamford reports. At the Royal Hotel in Dalesford, 90 minutes northwest of Melbourne, patrons were making the most of the Melbourne Cup long weekend. But just after six o'clock, the pleasant evening shattered when a BMW ploughed into the venue's beer garden. It was just something that I can't explain. I don't know whether I would even see that in a movie. It was the car going up, the smoke going everywhere. Resident Rhonda White saw the tragedy unfold. And people just came from everywhere. And all I remember is people just doing CPR on bodies. Like one of the girls sitting at the table, two of the girls at the table, they ran, they had CPR, there were nurses. And from sitting where I was sitting at the RSL, it was just, it was a nightmare. It was horrendous. Police said four people died at the scene, including a boy aged about six, two men and a woman. A girl, described as being between 12 and 16 years old, died in hospital. Six others were taken to hospitals in Melbourne and Ballarat. Local musician Anthony Rogers saw the emergency response. And there was helicopters coming in and, of course, I saw the SES go past and a couple of ambulances and I knew there was more than just a car accident and it's just shocked me because obviously there's heard there's deaths and you know children it's very sad. Hepburn Shire Mayor Brian Hood says the community is reeling from the tragedy. The sheer scale of this is devastating Uh, it's it's a terrible loss of life Uh, our thoughts go out to the families and friends of these people Uh, It's just a a terrible, terrible accident. The driver, a 66-year-old Mount Macedon man, was among those in hospital. Police last night said they had not yet been able to speak to him. Superintendent John Fitzpatrick said investigators were shocked by what they found. Well, I I haven't seen something this drastic um, for for a long time. I mean, any time you have, you know, five people die at a particular uh, scene, um, you know, it's it's terrible, it's, it's absolutely horrible. He called on anyone with footage of the incident to come forward. Yeah, there was a lot of people dining out, you know, the decent weather, so um, it, was, it was reasonably busy. We'll canvas, you know, the whole range of places around that scene to try and um, get some CCTV footage. Um, you know, we'll look at people that are driving around with dash cams. The crash site is expected to remain closed off until later in the morning. Matt Bamford there. The Prime Minister's arrived in Beijing ahead of a meeting with Chinese President Xi Jinping later today. It's the first time an Australian leader has travelled to mainland China in seven years. After a lengthy diplomatic deep freeze, Anthony Albanese's trip kicked off on a very warm note in Shanghai. East Asia correspondent Kathleen Calderwood is travelling with the Prime Minister and filed this report. In Shanghai's enormous National Exhibition Centre, Anthony Albanese toured from Tasmania to Western Australia to see some of the best the country has to offer its biggest trading partner. This is a market of 1.4 billion people. This is an economy uh, that is growing faster than the global average and this is an economy that 
is complementary in many ways to the Australian economy. As the larger-than-life showcase stalls towered over them, Mr Albanese cradled a lobster. Ah, uh, this is what we want. Yep, yeah. lobster. While the Trade Minister, Don Farrell, enjoyed an ice cream. He's hopeful Australian lobsters will be back on the menu in China soon. Look, I raised those issues directly with uh, my counterpart uh, last night and I expect that uh, as part of the stabilisation uh, process that's going on uh, with, uh, with China uh, and uh, as part of our ambition to uh, remove all of the impediments, I would expect that uh, in a very short space of time we will find that those products are back into the uh, Chinese market. Business Council of Australia CEO Brand Black says companies are eager to seize on the positive momentum. That means for Australian businesses that they can move into those markets again. But we note that they've also diversified over the course of the last few years. Ultimately, it's a case of having multiple eggs in multiple baskets. That means more jobs for Australians. Since 2020, China has imposed a series of bans and tariffs on Australian imports, and while most have been lifted, sanctions remain on lobsters and some beef. But at the expo opening, the country's premier, Li Qiang, was eager to emphasise China's enthusiasm for opening up and appetite for global cooperation. Following the trade expo excitement, the Prime Minister boarded a plane to Beijing. The mood on arrival was far more serious. Greeted by a little girl holding flowers, Mr Albanese then walked through a military guard of at least 20 Chinese soldiers. It's very good to be back in Beijing. What do you hope to get out of it? Uh, just further constructive dialogue and further advancement of the friendship between our two great nations. This afternoon he will meet President Xi Jinping and says he won't steer away from tough issues like human rights, the South China Sea and the plight of detained Australian writer Yang Hanjun. What he can expect from me is a continuation of the patient, calibrated and deliberate way of engaging in Australia's national interest and with a foundation that I believe it is in Australia's interests and China's interests for us to cooperate uh, wherever we can. And what I expect from President Xi uh, is the same. But first, Mr Albanese will visit the Temple of Heaven, a symbolic move echoing Gough Whitlam's historic trip half a century ago. This is Kathleen Calderwood reporting from Beijing for AM. Former Australian Prime Minister Scott Morrison has visited Israel to meet with political leaders and soldiers in a show of support for the ongoing war in Gaza. Mr Morrison and former British Prime Minister Boris Johnson toured a community on the Gaza border that was attacked by Hamas. Eric Torchek went with them. Hello, everybody. Welcomed to a scene of horror. Scott Morrison and Boris Johnson were given a tour of Kibbutz Kafar Aza, an agricultural community on the border with Gaza. The Israeli military told them Hamas operatives with gliders and motorbikes attacked the kibbutz on October the 7th. We're talking about hundreds of terrorists that infiltrated the kibbutz itself. Former Israeli ambassador to the United Nations, Danny Danon, invited the former prime ministers to see the devastation. We know that you are a friend of Israel and the fact that you are here today is a testimony for your friendship and we appreciate that. And now we are fighting evil. It will take time. I urge you to speak on behalf of Israel and allow us to finish the job. 
Walking through the wreckage of homes as Israeli artillery fired nearby, Boris Johnson wanted his visit to remind the world what happened here. Uh, because I do worry that in the, the month that has passed since that massacre, since those atrocities, a, a kind of moral fog has descended. And I personally utterly reject any attempt to equate the terrorism of Hamas with the work of the Israeli Defence Forces in trying to make sure that nothing like this ever happens again. Scott Morrison is the first major Australian political figure to visit Israel since this conflict began. He says walking through the community shocked him. You can't help be overwhelmed by the sense of what we're standing on was once a month ago, a place of innocence and now has been desecrated beyond comprehension. And as Boris just said, what we're seeing now a month on is exactly what I think Hamas and the terrorists wanted to see, that uh, Israel could be potentially isolated. And that cannot be. Asked about the Australian government's position calling for a humanitarian pause in Israel's assault on Gaza, Mr Morrison echoed the United States' view that a ceasefire would be counterproductive. Well, I, I don't support a ceasefire. And in terms of a pause, in our discussions today, there is a, is a willingness to ensure that there's humanitarian support. But we, do you provide a, a pause and a ceasefire to allow Hamas to regroup? to get themselves in a position to resist even further. I mean, th this, is, this is the play from Hamas, and we've got to be careful not to be suckered into it. But the former Prime Minister was unwilling to criticise the government, saying he was not in Israel to make political comments, only to show his support. He also says the civilian toll in Gaza, now reported to be more than 9,500 people, needs to be viewed in the context of the October the 7th attacks. All of this breaks my heart. All of it. But I know how it began. And it began right here. That's the former Prime Minister Scott Morrison ending that report from Eric Torchek. Economists are tipping another interest rate rise when the Reserve Bank Board meets tomorrow, with inflation still stubbornly high. One of the drivers of that inflation, according to the IMF, is infrastructure spending, a view now backed in by the federal government. A major review of the nation's $120 billion infrastructure pipeline is due within weeks. And as Tom Lowry reports, it's expected to recommend cuts to a range of projects committed to under the former government. Few things go together like politicians and big infrastructure announcements. Suburban Rail Loop will deliver faster and more convenient travel for all Victorians. Connecting That's a now two-year-old promo clip making the case for Victoria's massive Suburban Rail Loop project with a price tag for the first two stages estimated at $125 billion. The size and scale of the many projects in the country's infrastructure pipeline is causing concern. Here's independent economist Nikki Hutt if you put too much into the economy at once, too much demand, if you think about all the labour, the materials that you need, and you're stretching all of that across too many projects at once, that means that wages costs are going to go up, input costs are going to go up, and that feeds through not only into the costs of that infrastructure, but also into the costs of construction everywhere. The International Monetary Fund is worried too. It last week urged federal and state governments to pursue projects at a more measured pace in an effort to push down inflation. The federal government agrees, flagging the need for what it calls difficult decisions about the infrastructure pipeline. 
Treasurer Jim Chalmers. The comments from the International Monetary Fund are important, they are welcome and they are consistent with the way that we are coming at this challenge. A review has been underway for months looking at hundreds of projects in the 10-year, $120 billion pipeline and whether they are viable. The review hasn't yet been made public, but the government has indicated it has found cost blowouts worth around $33 billion. Some argue there are better ways to tackle inflation. Here's John Davis from the Australian Constructors Association. It's difficult to see where there can be cutbacks. We've got five to 600,000 migrants expected to enter Australia this year. So we can't stop building schools, hospitals and transport infrastructure. Some big projects, like the suburban rail loop, have already been carved out of the review, along with any commitments made by Labor prior to the federal election. And projects already under construction, including inland rail, also won't be halted. It's expected the review will question smaller, more local projects much more closely. John Davis says there still isn't much there to be saved. I think everyone is expecting that there will be um, some of those commuter car parks, some of those um, essentially port barrowing projects from the previous government. Now, I think everyone's sort of factored in that they are going to get cut. Um, but beyond that, it's very difficult to see what can be cut. The coalition is questioning why some of the government's bigger projects aren't on the table. Here's Shadow Infrastructure Minister Bridget McKenzie. They are multi-billion dollar programs and projects and apparently they're not going to impact inflation at all because they have been explicitly ruled out of the government's review. That's Nationals Senator Bridget McKenzie ending Tom Lowry's report. The Infrastructure Minister is Catherine King and she joined me earlier. Catherine King, thank you for your time. Just before we get to infrastructure, Dalesford is in your electorate. Do you have any information about this terrible crash at the Royal Hotel? Well, look, this is just devastating news overnight, you know, just a little bit past six o'clock and our cars obviously uh, crashed into an area that has been set up really post-COVID with lots of tables and chairs for the, uh, not just the Royal Hotel, there's an ice cream shop just there as well. So lots of families. It was a really warm night last night. We've got a long weekend in Melbourne uh, with the Melbourne Cup. So Dalesford as a major tourism destination was pretty busy last night. I know that... Um, uh, the police, uh, the SES, CFA, uh, Hepburnshire staff were on scene very, very quickly. Uh, Ambulance Victoria, uh, obviously, as well. But obviously, with the news overnight, we've lost um, uh, five people have lost their lives, and, and you know, five families have had their lives changed forever. Uh, the Dalesford community is incredibly close knit. Um, it will really have shocked a lot of people, and I think we'll really only just be coming to terms uh, to what happened uh, today. Um, and you know, my hearts go out to the people who've lost family members. There's obviously a number of people who are also in hospital as well with injuries. But these sorts of you know terrible accidents, the, the sort of level of trauma goes on for a long period of time and people will need uh, a lot of support and care. And the police obviously will need to undertake a significant in investigation into what's happened. Indeed they will. On to infrastructure. If there's an interest rate rise tomorrow, how much of that can be blamed on infrastructure spending? 
Well, look, I'll leave it to the Treasurer to sort of make the comments around, um, uh, you know, his part of the portfolio, his, his uh, portfolio. But really, from my point of view, uh, since we I took the portfolio, there's been evidence that this infrastructure pipeline has not been managed and not been managed well. Uh, and obviously, that is also causing uh, inflation pressures as we see uh, the costs of um, the costs of building some of these particularly large scale projects, but even some of the smaller scale projects go up. Uh, but what I have inherited is an infrastructure investment pipeline that uh, went from 150 projects to 800 projects under the previous government, that the independent review has found that there are $33 billion worth of known cost pressures uh, with more expected. Uh, and it is simply just not sustainable for the pipeline to not to, you know, to continue in the way that it is uh, after a decade, frankly, of being used um, in, for political purposes. We saw that the largest amount of projects were added into the pipeline uh, in the lead up to the 2016 and 2019 election campaigns. We've seen uh, lots of announcements uh, of projects with really not enough funding to, to really even deliver uh, a small amount of it, let alone a large amount. So I've got a, you know, I started the work of trying to clean this pipeline up in our first budget and we've got a bit more work to do. We are expecting half a million new migrants this year. Our cities are already experiencing serious growing pains and a lot of people listening to this would be sitting in traffic jams right now asking, is cutting back on infrastructure projects really the best way to curb inflation? Well, there's two things, um, two parts to that question. The first is, uh, you are right, it is really important that we continue to build uh, infrastructure that enhances productivity, uh, makes our cities and our suburbs more livable. And we are currently, there are 300 projects currently under construction uh, as we speak that have federal investment and co-investment with either local government or state government there. Uh, what I don't want to do is promise people that we're going to build something when it clearly uh, is not going to be built. We've got to make sure that the investment that we make uh, actually is deliverable, uh, is able to be done so in a way that doesn't add to inflation, that doesn't add to the cost of living pressures people are currently experiencing, but also does add to productivity across the nation. Is it uh, correct to assume that sorry. projects on the chopping block are the smaller, more local projects rather than the bigger, more expensive ones? The reviews recommended a range of projects and they are from large, large to big project, uh, large projects to small projects. And we're going through each of those uh, with our state and territory counterparts, trying to look at, you know, we're making sure we've got the right, right data, making sure that we've actually uh, factored into a, a account, you know, the importance of various projects across the country. And so that process is underway and nearing a conclusion now. But what I would also say is if you'd remember that part of what National Cabinet did when we announced uh, the extra money to build more homes was that there is also uh, a $500 million bucket of money that is about trying to build that enabling infrastructure to bring more housing stock onto the market. That will uh, be available next year, both for state and local government uh, to competitively apply for. And again, that is to try and ease the um, not just um, congestion, but really to look at how we can bring more housing onto the market more quickly. We know that there are a lot of development applications out there at the moment that have had planning approval, but 
but that are sitting back because the costs of infrastructure are just, you know, meaning that they, that doesn't stack up for them from a business point of view. So some of that $500 million will go towards trying to actually bring uh, those houses to market more quickly by building some of that infrastructure into those suburbs. Catherine King, we'll have to leave it there. Thanks for your time. Really good to be with you, David. And Catherine King is the Infrastructure Minister. That's AM for today. Thanks for your company. I'm David Lipson. Hi, I'm Sam Hawley, host of the ABC News Daily Podcast. Before the Hamas attack, the Israeli leader was under huge political pressure over domestic issues. But were there decisions he made that may have increased the risk? Today, Guy Ziv from the American University's Centre for Israel Studies on how long Netanyahu will be able to hold on to power. Look for the ABC News Daily Podcast on the ABC Listener. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. You can discover more ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listener.